Now, an argument that Muslims have against Christianity goes like this. The Muslim ethic is achievable. The Muslim idea about how to live is achievable. It tells you to do things like pray five times a day towards Mecca. And if you've got the money for it, go and visit Mecca once in your lifetime. Well, you can do that. It's achievable. But the Christian ethic just is not achievable. It tells you things like love your enemy and be humble and be self-sacrificial. Well, they're matters of the heart. That's beyond human reach, goes the argument. Therefore, Islam must be superior to Christianity. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want you to have the Muslim's reaction to what you hear this morning. I want you to react like a Muslim to what you hear this morning. Because what you hear this morning is not humanly possible. It's out of reach. But it's also clearly good. So you should desire what you hear this morning, but feel your inability. I can't do it. And then don't react like a Muslim. Go beyond the Muslim. That should then drive you to Jesus. You see, the Muslims are half right. The Christian ethic is not humanly possible, not for a sinful human. But the Muslims are also half wrong, because Christianity isn't a merely human religion. You need the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And his work comes by trusting in Jesus Christ, who was human and God. So react like a Muslim, then go beyond a Muslim. Now, if you are a Christian, how should you approach these verses in front of us? Well, we've been going through Romans for ages now, and chapters 1 to 8 have told us a wonderful gospel. And then chapters 9 to 11 have throbbed with desire for people to be saved. How does Paul then apply that in chapters 12 onwards? Does he say, now get out there and tell people this good news? Well, that would be good, wouldn't it? And I'm not at all trying to discourage that. But it's not what he does in these chapters. Instead, he says, now get living in line with this gospel. Get living in line with it. And this, more than our words, is what will spread the gospel. Church history has shown that down through 2,000 years. It's when people have been living in line with the gospel that people have sat up and taken notice and the church has grown. Now, if that's true in history, how much should it be true today? When we live in a society very cynical about words and supposedly looking for authenticity... So are our lives going to show we've got something authentic? Good news about Jesus. So we have these verses, 14 to 21, telling us how to live. Now, at first look, these verses look like a a random collection, but they have a theme running through them, and and they're all about responding to people. Responding to people in different situations, responding to people who treat us in difficult ways. So before we get into them, just note that. We need to expect a lot of life to be about responding. Responding to people, responding to circumstances. Most of life is not about us setting the agenda and us doing our thing and us getting our way. It doesn't generally work like that. I expect you've noticed already. This is not Christian living for when things go smoothly or or when you're on holiday and you've got away from the awkward people. Or maybe they come on holiday with you. We won't go into that. 
This is Christian living for the real life, for the, for the rough and tumble, for the friction of ordinary life. This is Christian living for responding to other people, difficult people, unwelcome situations. So here we've got the real world and Christian living coming together. Let's get into it. What does it tell us? Firstly, if people, it's all going to be if people this morning, if people firstly rejoice, rejoice with them. This is verse 15. We will come back to verse 14. Now, what things have made you sad recently? I'm sure there's some, aren't there? Can you think of them? What things have upset you or got to you? What things have made you happy recently? What things have lifted you up? I'm sure you can all think of something, can't you? Probably many things. Now, are they all about you? Are any of them about other people? Verse 15 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. In other words, we should have a love for others, a care for others, such that their happiness is the cause of ours. Their sadness is the cause of ours. So, think over that question, what's got you down recently, what's got you up recently? Has it ever been about others, or is it generally about you? Do you know people who are lonely? Will you feel something of the sadness of that loneliness, and then do something about it? Do you know people facing difficulties? Will you listen? You know, when you listen to them, what happens? Their difficulties get weighed on your mind, don't they? And maybe get you down. But it says, mourn with those who mourn. Be willing to share something of that sadness. Mourn with those who mourn. But maybe the first part of the verse is actually harder. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone has a baby and you don't. If someone is married and you're not. If someone gets a house that's nicer than yours, if someone gets an exam result that's a lot better than yours, the sinful self-centred response is envy, annoyance, find fault, tear them down. The loving response is be glad for them. Rejoice with them. Celebrate over them. Now, verse 15 tells us to do this, and it doesn't limit with whom we should do it, does it? It's just anyone you come across who this applies to. It doesn't put limits. But the most obvious context is the church. Chapter 12 has a lot about relationships in the church. This verse, you might know, is repeated in 1 Corinthians 12, which is about the church. And so, as so often in the Bible, we find to obey the Bible, you need to be involved in the church. Think of it this way, if you go to the cinema and there's someone else going to the cinema who's just lost their job, do you mourn with them? You're sitting there in the cinema and across the aisle is someone who's just had a pay rise, do you rejoice with them? No, you don't even know, do you? Because you go, watch the show and leave. And if your approach to the church is just like that, go see the show and leave, you can't do this first, can you? You need more involvement in fellow Christians' lives if you're going to manage to do this verse. If you won't get involved in the church more than just turn up, see the show and off you go, you're not going to obey this commandment from God. In other words, you're sinning. And 
That's a problem, isn't it? And you need to do something about it. Now, do notice it doesn't say help those in difficulty, although please do. It doesn't say send a congratulations card to a couple with a baby, although that's not bad. It says mourn. It says rejoice. And those are matters of the heart. And you can't change your heart, can you? You can't achieve this verse by yourself. How's it going to happen? Well, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to make us like Jesus. Where did I get that from? Oh, well, this verse follows chapter 8, and chapter 8, a significant amount of it is about the Holy Spirit making us like Jesus. And he did this verse. His unreliable, unimpressive group of disciples came back from their first preaching tour, and they were full of it. And he didn't think, oh, these pathetic little people. It was not really much. No, he rejoiced with them. And then there were two sisters and their brother had died and they were mourning and he didn't think, well, I'm going to raise him in a few minutes. (laughs) What's the problem? No, he mourned with them. He who is far above his creation became in harmony with ordinary people. And that leads us nicely into our second thing. If people, secondly, are lowly, associate with them. If people are lowly, associate with them. I didn't say lonely, but that would be good, associate with them. Lowly, low people. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, in a period drama, you often get this sort of situation. There are these upper class, snooty people in church. It's always the snooty people in church. And someone in, in shabby clothes, a local peasant comes in, and what do they all do? Oh, they all shuffle away, look down their noses, keep away, they might even push him out. And we think, oh, if we were there, we wouldn't do that, would we? Do you realise how often TV programmes are playing on your self-righteousness? We need to think more broadly. It isn't just people in shabby clothes who are obvious peasants. It isn't just about social class. What about socially awkward people? Children, what about old people? Old people, what about children? Teenagers, what about those people at school that no one wants to be seen with and they'll think you're a bit odd if you're seen with them? Our verse says, be associated with the sort of people others don't want to do with. In fact, it's... More strong than that, really. Be associated isn't a very strong translation. It's throw yourselves in with them fully. That's what it is. Throw yourself in with them fully. But don't do it like a charity volunteer. Nothing against charity volunteers, but you could do it a bit like this, couldn't you? So high and mighty. How good am I to come down to your level? How good I am. Now, is there anything I can do for you? Do you know, people are always helping others. It can sometimes be a very proud thing. I'm always the one doing the helping because I'm above you. It's not that. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Literally, think the same thing towards one another. Do not be proud. Literally, do not think too highly of yourself. Do not be conceited. Literally, do not think yourself great. Did you notice the repeated word? Think, think, think. In other words, this unity 
and humility comes from verse 2. In fact, everything in chapter 12 comes from verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think with a mind changed by the Holy Spirit applying the gospel to you and making you more like Jesus. That's where this all comes from. A thinking that comes from the Holy Spirit has changed our minds to make us more like Jesus, who spent time with tax collectors and lepers and prostitutes. Can you imagine what people thought of him, spending time with them? Can you imagine the rumours that went round? Who chose some pretty dull people to be his disciples, and still does today, yes? Who put up with the Pharisees saying, look who he mixes with, and he put up with it. The Holy Spirit's role is to make us like him. Thirdly, thirdly, if people will live at peace with you, then live at peace with them. Verse 18. We will come back to verse 17. Verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, as we'll see again in a minute, these verses are realistic. The Christian life is in the context of troubles. Not everyone will live at peace with us. Not everyone will be reasonable to us. But... If there is strife, if there is difficulty, it should be despite us, not because of us. Now, that doesn't mean we never correct or rebuke anyone. It doesn't mean we never stand up against sin and call it what it is. It does mean we are not prickly, awkward, fault-finding, grumbling people. It does mean we are not quick to fall out with people. But instead we are quick to admit when we are wrong, to apologise, to seek reconciliation and what can also be hard, to accept others' apology and attempt at reconciliation. Fellow Christians, I should have just described you. Have I? Did I just describe you? Now, these are matters of character, aren't they? These are matters of character, and character is really hard to change. But the Holy Spirit can change your character, and it's his delight to make you like Jesus, who was the blessed peacemaker. Let's move on. If people, what next? Fourthly, if people mistreat you, do them good. Now we go back and pick up the verses we missed. If people mistreat you, do them good. Is a whole load of verses here. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, back to verse 14, persecution. Thankfully, we're not in a country, are we, where Christians get put in prison. We have brothers and sisters who do get put in prison, but it's not us. But many still get mistreated. 
A Christian child at school may get mocked, may get nasty comments, may get it made clear that they're, they're not welcome in that popular group, they're frozen out. A Christian at work may get rather similar, often in more subtle, sophisticated ways. Or be passed over for promotion because the boss doesn't like the way you don't go along with a certain dishonest practice. Or maybe the way you're clearly different when the talk gets dirty. You're just not part of the group and you get passed over. Now you might hope that boss at work or that person at school, well, something nasty happens to them. They get mistreated by others and see how they like it. No, verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In other words, pray for them. Seek good from God for them. And don't just seek God, God's goodness for them. Verse 17 says, go further. Don't look for a way to get your own back. Look for a way to do them good. Where it says, be careful to do what is right, it's literally take thought for what is right, for what is good. You see, thinking again. Thinking. Take thought for what is good. Think about how to do them good. Don't just hope, well, I might get a chance. Plan it. Think about it. Oh, you say, but what about justice? I'll just get taken advantage of, won't I? Well, justice isn't in your hands. It's in God's hands. Leave it in his hands. Verse 20. Do not take, sorry, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So instead, you do, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, children, if your enemy at school gets at you, it's probably not because he's hungry. Yes, if at work someone is having a go at you, well, it's unlikely to just be they haven't had their dinner break, so give them a chocolate bar. Yeah, so let's think more practically. That might have been the case then, but in our rich society, they, your enemy may be angry, may not be hungry. It may be that he's angry. So be friendly, be respectful, be calm. It may not be that your enemy is thirsty. It may be he's insecure. So be accepting. Show appreciation. And this way you do the next thing in verse 20. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Isn't that really odd? What's that? Is it saying, now I'm going to teach you how to take revenge in a subtle way. Now, don't do it by starving them. Do it by helping them. And then, yeah, this is, this is a real subtle dig at them. No, no. It's most likely this. 1 Peter 3 says, Speak to people with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's most likely to be that. You do them good and it makes them ashamed of how they've acted to you. And they reconsider. And they possibly recognise they're wrong. And God may even use this to bring them to Christ. Now this is so hard to do, isn't it? When people hurt you, it is really hard to react in this way. 
even in the church, let alone the workplace or the school or the university. How are we to do it? Well, 1 Peter again, it says in chapter 2, Jesus, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Do you see, Jesus did Romans 12. Exactly. How did he do it? Not by some superhuman, he was the son of God. No, he'd become an ordinary man. But the Holy Spirit was empowering him. And you can ask for the Holy Spirit to do that in you too. If people, here's the last one, are evil, overcome them with good. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we've already been seeing this about when people mistreat us. But in verse 21, it's broader than people, so I want to broaden out. Here it's a more general principle, not just about people being evil to us, but when circumstances are bad, anything is tough. Will you be overcome by evil, or will you overcome that evil with good? Now, I suspect that some people here know the story, The Hiding Place. Great true story of Corrie ten Boom, who with her family in the Netherlands in the war had been hiding Jewish people. And then they got caught. And Corrie and her sister Betsy ten Boom got sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And there, of course, they suffered terribly. And there they were abused horribly. And Betsy saw her sister Corrie being made angry by this and being eaten up by this. She said to her, no anger, Corrie. No anger, only love. You see, Corrie was in danger of being overcome by evil. Betsy was overcoming evil with good. Now, that's all very nice for us here in Hollywell, isn't it? And we can sit and daydream about what we might be like if we were in a concentration camp. Let's be more realistic. When the pressure of just things to do, to do, to do all the time is getting to you. When the children are a nuisance, if your children never are, please introduce them to me. When you're living on your own, when living on your own just drags on in loneliness. When your health is bad, will you let bitterness into your mind? Will you become a grumbler? Will you say, it's quite justified for me to let go of my temper and let it rip? Because look what's happening. Or will you use it as an opportunity to exercise love, joy, peace, patience? You don't exercise patience unless there's something testing your patience. I've lost my track. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You don't exercise self-control unless there's something pushing and provoking it, do you? Now if you say, I can't be expected to be like that in these circumstances. Well, you're not following the Lord Jesus, who in his unjust trial who in the unreasonableness of people around him, in his sufferings on the cross, he overcame evil with good in those circumstances. 
And you can too. I know it's hard. In fact, it's impossible humanly. But you can too by the power of the Holy Spirit, whose delight is to bear that fruit in us, that Christ-like fruit of when we're under the pressure, giving us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Well, there are verses 14 to 21 of Romans 12. I I expect you recognise I've far from covered everything. So please read the passage some more. Think about it, talk about it, and above all, do it. I hope you don't drop the subject once the sermon's finished. makes it a rather pointless activity. And do remember this. If you're not a Christian, have you reacted like a Muslim? Have you reacted to what you've heard like a Muslim? You should have done You should be reacting. These things aren't humanly achievable. If you think they are, you don't understand yourself and you don't understand what I've been saying. But then go beyond a Muslim. You need the human who is God. You need to react something like this. Lord Jesus, these things are obviously good. These things are desirable, but I can't do them. I find I can't change myself. I find I can't control that temper. I find I can't stop those grumbles. I find that I'm just annoyed that those people have got what I haven't got. Please change me. Give me a new heart. Work in me by your spirit. Christian brothers and sisters, shouldn't we be praying something pretty similar too? And then if we're like this, if people at school, at university, at work, in the neighbourhood, and who come in here to Hollywell, see that we're like this, isn't that likely to get them interested in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus who came under more pressure and opposition, and temptation, and just the frictions of life than anyone else ever has, and who responded better than anyone else ever has, who perfectly did all these things we've been hearing. So, Father, may we have his Spirit making us like him. And may people see, may we... May we, as your word says, live such good lives among the unbelievers that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they see our good deeds and glorify you on the day you visit us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.